0: Hi everyone. Today we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic that affects all of us, and that is we're going to be talking to uh, Patrick Del Sol, who is the Vice President, Global Planning, Logistics, and Supply Chain Operations, Europe at Henkel Beauty Care. Uh, Patrick, thanks so much for coming to talk to us. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? Hi, um,
1: welcome and, and to that podcast. I'm delighted to be here. So, yes, I'm going to be uh, talking uh, very soon. I mean in 10 days um, so who i am i have been in supply chain for most of my career although i did some you know excursion in sap environment in end-to-end planning in e-commerce as well and also in MA. and uh, joined henkel two years ago and uh, we're pursuing an, an end-to-end strategy uh, very close to um, what we've been doing in henkel globally and, and you might have heard about some of our initiatives and indeed, it's been a long-term passion. Uh, I am a supply chain guy by activity, but I'm an end-to-end and I'm a business person. So all about how you would help deliver the business results. And, and what we've seen with digitalization and the evolution of IT in the recent years has opened a fantastic new playground. You know, Things we thought we could not even do yeah. some years ago, now we can. And it's driving its own challenges, but it's extremely exciting to be able to uh, be uh, playing in that field.
0: Well, so end to end visibility is a goal that a lot of people have. Yeah, uh, it's it seems like the holy grail, you know, something that everyone aspires to, to, to get. How feasible is it to achieve this? Are you close to achieving this? Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So as you say it's the holy grail so hopefully we're not close to achieving it otherwise uh, you know there would be no holy grail it, it needs to keep yeah. you on your toes uh yeah. but we've made significant steps on on going to uh, an end-to-end visibility which to be honest can be understood several ways uh, one is is using the traditional score model where you know you start from raw and pack to the final delivery of the goods to the customer which is one and, and we're making significant steps in the visibility, definitely, which allows to take decisions. That's one. Uh, the other one, which is also uh, very interesting to pursue, is from a decision to a PNL. You know, you're deciding to reduce, you know, change a product to get a better PNL. But in the course of the project, things change, and whether that's the environment around you or you need to change the design, and then you have an impact. And what it gets really in the end of the PNL is a very interesting topic and that works also for NPIs. You think you're gonna deliver a product that's gonna revolutionize, but things change in the middle. And having the visibility of all those changes at the same time is really something where we're learning a lot because it allows us to react. And it's all about visibility without decision, without action is in a way not very useful. And that's the part where we're playing. We're learning a lot on how to get that visibility, but also how to make it actionable. And that's the part where we've learned a lot, and it's from a leader's perspective. It's also fantastically interesting because the change management behind is absolutely enormous.
0: Well, that, that was gonna that was gonna lead me to my next question, which is, what are the challenges that kind of stand in the way of uh, implementing this kind of end-to-end visibility goal?
1: There are numerous challenges. The first one is, okay, we still have a job to do. So you know, you still have to do, and specifically, if you talk about now with COVID. Uh, supply chain practitioners have been severely under stress because the volatility of the demand has drawn us back into very operational topics. You know, you need to basically get products uh, in an environment where it's more difficult. Well, visibility also has gone down. We've seen it with, for example, all the shipments that come from Asia. We have more and more difficulties in ports, harbors, where you have queues that are extending. we got the Brexit in the middle. So all of it has made it more difficult. Uh, But at the same time, we all want it. And we know that we can get more data and more insights. So the difficulty is indeed focusing and prioritizing on what you can get quickly. Because at the same time, we're definitely under a lot of stress at the moment. The good news out of it is that visibility, those new tools, can help us be more efficient. So if you make the right choices, in a way, you can free space. Now, it's a bet because you need to find the right ones. But that's, that's very exciting at this moment to try to get some relief.
0: And, and isn't, I mean, isn't the whole end-to-end, you know, visibility piece or the transformation piece a constant, you know, it's a constant ongoing process. This isn't something like we said at the beginning here, you know, this isn't sort of like, okay, we're done, let's move on. There, there are moving parts on a regular basis. I, I can imagine that there is something that's, this is something that's measured in stages, isn't it?
1: It is, and it is, but it is also part of the, what I would call the IT legacy. I'll, I'll speak of it at the uh, Transform event because it, we're living in, in companies that have been there for years. I mean, most of yeah. us. Good. And and once you've been there more than 10 years, you've got a legacy of system that are basically not always talking to each other. Even an ERP does not really cover end-to-end, covers yeah. part of it. Um, and the new technologies are allowing to build bridges between silos and functions. And that's the part which is very exciting because on one side, you, you build it on top of your ERP, you don't change, you don't need right. to change ERP, you can, but you don't need to change ERP. But it also has its challenges because you have to choose your battles because the data behind it is still not talking to each other. So there's a number of bridges you can build with new tools, new technology, new thinking, which allow you to, in a way, supersede your current ERP, um, I would say, constraints.
0: Does this is this something I mean, you've brought up now uh, legacy issues, you've brought up change management issues. Is this uh, are these learnings that you've had from perhaps previous failures or previous uh, challenges? Yes, both, both on trying and
1: failing. But it's also one of the things we've learned is that digitalization is not one more IT project in the sense of, you know, we used to run them, you specify for a long time. You, and whatever technique you use, we're talking agile now in, in mm-hmm. those projects, but even agile takes a lot of time. What yeah. we've done on those digitalization projects, if we've, we've gone to startup models and, and this has been a breakthrough for us, uh, really? but it forces you from a even leadership perspective to think differently uh, because you don't manage them the same way as you would manage normal KPI deliveries, your SNOP, you know, which is a monthly rhythm, which is very organized. This is more, a little more chaotic at least it appears, uh, until you find the one you want. And then you move into an organized uh, way to deliver, but that has forced us definitely to think differently. And in those startups, you keep failing. You keep discovering that it doesn't work. And then the secret is get back on your feet very quickly and do it again and do it differently. And, And then you iterate and you iterate a lot. It means, that most of the time we were able to, by iterating, correct what didn't work. And thus, we didn't have a huge number of huge failures. But of course, some projects were either too ambitious uh, or we just didn't have the data. And we realized that at a moment to say, oh, we want to do that. Conceptually, we know how, but our data is not there. And, and to get there would take us you know, either a system change or a complete rehaul of your master data that we can't do.
0: And so talk, talk to me a little bit about the, the leadership challenges as, in, as a leader and, a, and also in terms of change management, implementing this kind of thinking, this kind of mindset. How much of a journey was there in doing that in, you know, is that something you tackle first, tackle last? Uh, ongoing. <laughs> to be honest, it's a journey. I, I don't think none of us
1: had um, either the secret uh, recipe, and we still don't have it. We've learned. Uh, we started. We had a number of initiatives. We, Henkel is a is a three division, three business unit business, and we have different uh, customers. We have different business models. So first of all, mm-hmm. we didn't have one model for Henkel because it doesn't work. So we had to start differently, and we had different focus depending on the different business units. And of course, all some projects were started big because we had a clear investment in a technology where we thought we could do something. Track and trace is a good example. We went outside, chose a solution and linked it to our systems. Um, And in a way that was kind of a normal project, you know, we didn't, it was a normal IT project to time to roll out, but we knew what we wanted. Uh, Usage of big data has been completely different because big data by definition is big and you can drown yourself in data. So here we had more tactical approaches on finding solutions to problems we had and definitely we had to be very clear on what were the must solve projects. And then we narrowed it to say, okay, we got to make that work, but we still don't exactly know how to do it. And that's right. where we went into a startup mode where we said, okay, put a small team of nimble, agile, but good people to try to solve it, thinking big, but doing small. And when they did that, when they proved it, then we made it big. So you can see two very so different- concepts. proof of concept.
0: Yeah, so proof of concept yeah, type thing. I, I love what you're talking about in terms of um, uh, the startup mode, you know, this sort of startup um, thinking. Do you think that perhaps maybe that's where a lot of companies struggle in that they say that they want to have startup mode, but then they are um, deeply affected by maybe deeply rooted processes, bureaucracy, mm-hmm. you know, how, how did you overcome that?
1: Well, first, you're absolutely right. And you're spot on on the way it's generally done. So you it, it is a definite management decision to decide you want to have a small, agile team. But the first thing is the leader has to live with it. Uh, and, and and I mean, I, I initiated a number of projects in, in Henkel. And the first thing was to give sponsors and get out of it. Yeah. And it's difficult I mean, because first, I'm passionate about it. So I want to have a say. I want also to follow up and I want to help. But at the end, uh, if I do that, then you're asking people to you know, present for steering committees and make a, make slides and justify. Well, the whole objective is solve the problem. And what we tried to do is we cascaded the goal. So the why and the what was very clear. We wanted them to solve a problem. Why? Because it was a problem. The what was we knew what we were targeting from a KPI perspective solution. The how, we led it to them. And basically, there was no steering committee presentations until they got to, we think we have a solution. And that was two to four months, roughly, depending on the project. Some, some even took longer. They were more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but generally, in two to four months, the guy, the, the teams would come back with, okay, we have a solution. And we tested it. And it worked on you know two, three countries to make it relevant. And that's the moment where we went back to say, okay, now we industrialize. Now we're going to do it everywhere. And that's where... I would say the the supply chain leaders took their normal role, which is make sure that you implement it correctly, that the documentation is there, that the master data is there so that it really gets the traction, the scale. But there was clearly two moments and two very different actions. And yeah, you have to force yourself to do differently. And being in both is super interesting because it's challenging because you have to consciously decide
0: not to go i I love that i have to consciously make that sort of effort it's almost as though we're deprogramming you know several years of maybe structured thinking in running businesses aren't we yes
1: well at least for for us it has been it has been the case and now it's not everywhere it's not all the project the same again but in, in some cases it's proven really useful to do that
0: so let's talk a little bit about the transformation framework that you're gonna be speaking about in your presentation. Is this applicable to every transformation? Is it always easy to stick to this process? Or uh, maybe just talk to us a little bit about it.
1: No, it's not, at first, it's it's not a one magic wand. Uh, that's, that's very clear. And, and the first thing is, you know, how much do you need to invest? Is a big, of course, a big topic. If you need, uh, we're talking IoT, for example, if you need to put sensors on machines, you can't just be so agile because you're gonna invest massively and you yeah. need to know in what you invest. So any big manufacturing project relating on IoT, as a good example, it's one of the projects we're working on, needs a framework. You can't just be too agile on this. Now, you can choose to do part of it, and that's where you can be agile. So again, you can choose, decide on one part and then be agile on that part. Uh, when you talk about supply chain, If you talk about what I would call the flow, so the data uh, Mm -hmm. and how you use the data, you can be a lot more agile. Uh, Now, you need a basic process and a basic discipline, of course, if you do that. And then you can be, of course, trying where I find it extremely important and powerful is when you're trying to do real what I call horizontal linking which okay. is not trying to be you know, better at demand planning, but trying to link, for example, demand planning, supply planning, and purchasing, or trying to link NPI with the COGS management. The moment you start being horizontal, that's where yeah. you really face challenges of master data and non-alignment. And that's where you need to be agile because trying to solve it by a big project is is generally very, very difficult or lengthy.
0: And do you think that the startup mentality has helped you there in, in, in trying to implement this horizontal framework that you talk about?
1: Yes. Yes, because we put uh, we, we were very selective on what to solve. And what we tried to do was you know, solve one problem, not solve all of them at the same time. And by solving yeah. one problem, it allowed people to go quick. And you needed people to think that they needed to solve one problem. Of course, yeah. we had, you know, in the background, we knew there were three or four that that were correlated, that would come later. But the idea was crack one. And by cracking one, they were able to narrow the number of things to be done. And they developed a smaller model. Then we could scale it up again, rather than trying to make it big from the the very initial phase. That was pretty useful in that case.
0: You know, you're gonna be talking about the Henkel case study on achieving end-to-end visibility of of the supply chain. uh, can you tell us our listeners a little bit about what you're going to be discussing at the event and why uh you know why it's important to implement this now especially during you know this kind of time of uncertainty
1: well the the the, the opening sequence is uh, there's a quote that you know it, we can see in most of the presentation, is most digital transformation are not only difficult but most of them fail uh, mm-hmm. so the, the reason why i think it's important is We, most supply chains now are starting to get very serious about that end-to-end because we understand, especially with COVID, the fact that we need to be end-to-end because what happens in China now is affecting us basically immediately and vice versa. So we need to go there. And most of the things we need to do are about big data, are about uh, visibility. So the digital topic is becoming everywhere important and we can't, we we just can't keep on having failures. That's one. Uh, Second thing, there's also a huge potential. And, and by having played with it, we see that potential. Now we see the difficulty is mostly, like any big transformation is about change management. It's not the data, it's not the tool, it's how you do with it, it's how you play with it, and it's how management drives the change. And we've gone some way, we're not finished, but we've gone some way in trying, failing, you know, getting up again and implementing better. And we've refined that model. And that's what we're gonna talk at at the event, which is about the way we've done most of our, what I would call big data changes, Uh, not the ones that require heavy investment, it's low investment, uh, but it's about embedding it in the business. It's about making sure that it really gets into the habit so that you do the change management at the same time. And that's the part where I I believe there is something, I mean, that that I think is worth sharing. Uh, We've learned a lot, we're still learning, Uh, we're discovering things uh, and every now and then, but I think it's interesting. And and to be honest, it's also to share, but get feedback as well.
0: You know, this profession has changed a lot recently in just in the last year, hasn't it? Uh, Before COVID, we were talking about transformation, digital transformation, digitizing. We were talking about, uh, you know, changing infrastructures, changing, not just technology processes, deprogramming. Then comes COVID and adds a great deal of uncertainty that, You know, we don't know how things are going to turn out. How important is it? I mean, you've just talked about it, but how important is it with consumer demand the way that it is, with COVID, with, you know, the uncertainties that we currently have to implement this kind of framework in a business?
1: I think it's even more important with COVID because what we used to have were long investment cycles where, you know, we would decide on an ERP change, it would take six to 10 years if we're lucky. Uh, when you change to the next generation planning, it's roughly the same agenda, slightly mm-hmm. smaller. Um, and, and you know, you expected to build something that would last. What we've seen with COVID is two things. The first one is the volatility has increased, and the current tools we have are too slow. They're basically not allowing us to be fast enough. That's one. It has put a lot of stress on the management to be also able to take decisions. So we need that visibility. And, and the stress on the management is really about making it visible. So that approach on solving problems quickly is also a a great support to the change management we need to do because of COVID. We need to be more reactive. It doesn't mean we don't need to look long-term. Of course, you need to keep because you invest, for example, so you need to have a plan, but the agility you need to have, the resilience you need to have is going away from some of the, let's say last year's trend where cost was a, a big driver in supply chain and, uh, you know, you've strained, you've stripped your supply chain of all its ability to be resilient. And we've, we've seen a number of companies struggling with that yeah. during COVID because we've lost it. But they're also a back to being more resilient, uh, being more agile, which is getting back into focus. And that, you know, agility in developing new tools, I think, also goes hand in hand with that.
0: Well, the pace of change is enormous. You know, the the the, the way that consumers are demanding things uh, right now—it's—it's. It's, I don't think we've seen anything like this before. Um, we're very much looking forward to to hearing the full presentation because what you guys have done there has been, you know, very extraordinary. Uh, not just in terms of the uh, visibility that you've gained, but the—you know—I've talked to uh, several people in your company. The diversity of thinking that you have, I think, is exemplary. Uh, for other companies. So I'm very much looking forward to to seeing this presentation of yours, Patrick. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, But before we go, before we go, I've got one question for you. One last thing, what advice would you give to senior supply chain leaders that are facing all of this complexity, all of this volatility, all of this mounting pressure, um, you know, in trying to implement this kind of, I don't know, vision whilst dealing with this complexity? Well, the first one would be try and fail
1: and don't be afraid to fail because that's the way you'll grow faster, but you need to know it. You need to control it. You know, it has to be in a controlled environment in a way. So you have your core running and it's still running, but what you try to do, you really try to make it and, you know, accept that you don't know because we don't know.
0: So fail fast, probably fail fast, fail often. Uh, And, uh, you know, the other thing I would say is probably have diverse thinking. In your teams, you know, have people from different backgrounds, different, you know, different experiences. Uh, probably will add to you this, um, you know, this startup mindset or mentality, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But that's that's the that's the get the management out of the picture because management, if you lead by management, it's top down, so it's generally one or two views. Yeah. By having a small team, you get six, seven people that are different by definition, and that will make it, you know, more organic. But you're absolutely correct.
0: Well, Patrick, thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Maria. Have a good day.
0: You too.